Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer is on location at Rogers Arena, getting ready to uh, take part in the press conference with Patrick Alvine, Canucks general manager, that should be starting any minute. Uh, through some state-of-the-art technology here. I've got a, a live video monitor showing the media room, the media setup at Rogers Arena. So I, I will take you to Rogers Arena the moment that Alvin steps up to the podium. Uh, currently, I've got a very exciting shot of some media members walking back and forth uh, uh, past the camera. But, but uh, as soon as Patrick Alvin steps up, We'll take you there. Uh, you can keep texting in 650-650. And, of course, we will be back uh, on the other side a- after the press conference to uh, break it all down for you. Uh, Bick and Randeep have a two-hour edition of The People Show coming up at 2 as well. So you'll hear more uh, more talk there. And uh, if I had to wager a guess, I'd say you'll probably get a chance on the open phone boards to call in and give your take as well on The People Show. Uh, this one comes in in terms of what you want to hear from Patrick Alvine today this one says if the team is capped out and they don't make the playoffs are they satisfied if there is a six point improvement the texture also says uh, plus he wants to hear about Elias Pettersson and how that's going and yeah I mean that's a fascinating question right and I mean, Drance and I talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday with Drance kind of saying like just just be fun be positive be easy to root for and competitive but then if you're that and even if you fall short of the playoffs it will still be a success and I'm just – I'm not sure the fan base is in the mood for that, right? That that's enough to sell the fan base on when you're coming off three extremely disappointing seasons like the Canucks are. And when you've spent a lot of draft capital and spent a lot in free agency trying to improve this team, I'm not sure, hey, we came really close and we were likable – is enough to really sell fans on the direction of this team. I think it pretty much needs to be a playoff appearance. Now, look, there's always extenuating circumstances, right? And if Demko is injured for a long period of time again, or Hughes or Pedersen, and you're still right there and you come up just short, that's a different conversation. I get that, right? Things can always happen uh, in certain ways that changes the conversation. But assuming no really, really tough breaks like that, if this team is, you know, a 92-point team, a 90-point team, and outside the playoffs, it's going to be really, really difficult to sell that as significant enough improvement. Uh, 650, 650, again, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. This one says, I want to know uh, that that the OEL buyout happened with another specific move or moves in mind. That's an interesting one, and I know you know when the news initially broke, and this is something that Elliot Friedman said and others said as well, kind of the first place your mind goes is, well, do they have something lined up? Is there another shoe dropping sooner rather than later? And obviously it hasn't played out that way. Uh, for me, I, I would be surprised if it was as much about that, uh, and we have Patrick Alvin stepping up to the press conference, so uh, right now we will take you live to hear the Canucks general manager. decision was made to buy out OEL, given the significance of the dollars involved, um, how difficult is that to take to ownership and ask them to, to write that check? Yeah, it definitely uh, was a, a, a 
difficult decision here. Uh, and as I said to you guys before, I am not a big fan of buyouts. Uh, but in this particular case, and uh, we felt that it was uh, an opportunity too good to pass up on. Was ownership fully on board from you? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the discussion uh, between Jim Rutherford and the ownership and myself here, uh, I think this just uh, shows another, um, you know, how, how committed uh, the ownership and the Aquilina family are to uh, bring a championship team here to uh, the city of Vancouver. Patrick, what changed between the end of April and now for the buyout? Because when we last talked to you, you really didn't, didn't have any interest in doing it. Well, my, I said my intention is not to use buyouts. And, and I said, as I said here too, I, I, I'm not a big fan of buyouts. Uh, uh, I don't know if anything really changed. Uh, it was more the internal discussions here that, that um, um, involved the cap flexibility. And, and uh, also for us, uh, as I said earlier in the, in the year-end uh, um, media availability there, that uh, we will look at all our options uh, to make this team better. And uh, uh, when this option was, uh, you know, um, something that we felt uh, uh, hockey and uh, uh, business, uh, it was too good to pass up to get this uh, cap flexibility, create the cap space uh, this year and next year, but also gives, gives us a chance to plan for the future here. And we see this as a long-term uh, commitment and, and uh, it's not just a quick fix. Patrick, you mentioned the business and the hockey side. Uh, because in addition to the immediate cap savings for your club, uh, there's 14 million in, in real cash savings over the next two years. What was the bigger impetus for executing the buyout, uh, the, the salary considerations or the, or the cap considerations? Well, you have to look at how the contract was structured, obviously, uh, and, and by executing it now versus next year, but also how the player um, and the discussion that I had with his, uh, with his agent over there, uh, a year and a half since I got in here. Um, the performance of the player that, that played in here as well and how we want to play and the pickup of uh, Philip Ronick, um, the ice time that was going to be available, uh, both five on five and, and on special team there. You talk about the cap flexibility now heading into a pretty critical stretch here with the draft coming up and free agency as well. What would you describe as your goals for the next few weeks now that you've created some of that flexibility? Well, again, going back to one of the first times that I talked here, my, my goal is just not to create uh, cap, uh, cap space. Um, our, our goal is to improve our hockey team. Uh, this definitely gives us a chance to improve our team by, by uh, creating this cap flexibility here. So uh, we have uh, a process in place here where we had meetings with the pro staff and analytics staff and looking um, you know, what areas of our team, how we can improve our team and, and uh, a constant conversation with the coaching staff as well. Uh, how we want to play and what, what uh, players that might fit into how we want to um, improve our team for next year. Uh, that being said, I think it, it's, uh, you know, we're going to be by see how we, how we uh, spend our money here moving forward. Were there moves on the deadline that you were not able to make because of your cap inflexibility? Uh, no, I was I was not looking to add any more players at that point. We uh, we felt uh, the addition of Philip Ronick was uh, was something that we've been looking for uh, since we got in here, and and by adding that uh, 
uh, top end right shot defenseman uh, in his age, uh, would, uh, we were very pleased and happy with that. Patrick, how cognizant are you, you touched upon it briefly, about not overpaying? Because we've seen what fat contracts have done to this organization and it has hand-tied you to make other moves. When it comes to free agency, are you going to go about spending that money wisely, even though there's probably going to be demand on guys that you're going to want to get? How are you going to manage it? Yeah, I, I think that's a fine balance. Uh, what I will say, though, we're extremely happy where we are in terms of younger players coming into this organization. Uh, we saw last year that uh, uh, the, the addition of, uh, you know, Hiroshi and, and McWard was up here playing, uh, Philip Johansson getting in here, uh, Noah Julesen, Jeff Wu, the, those were the defensemen that I, I uh, are excited about. I think they can come in here and, and uh, compete for, for ice time and roster spots. Uh, so uh, definitely it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, the market obviously uh, dictate what the salaries are. And, and the price uh, is somehow set by the, by the market, and, and that's where, where you gotta, um, you know, uh, have, have a more of a clear view of uh, the, the future of this organization, where we wanna, wanna be and how we wanna spend our money. Do you feel you're gonna have to use that money that you freed up in order to achieve the goal of making the playoffs and bolstering your defense and bolstering your third line? Well, it definitely gives me opportunity to be part of even either trades or free agent signings. Um, if I'm going to use all of it, uh, it, it's too early to tell. Uh, what I wanted uh, to use it is to definitely to improve our team in, in some of the areas that, that uh, uh, we need to uh, based on the, the exit meetings and, and uh, conversation I had with the coaching staff uh, since, since our last game. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, as I said, uh, going back to I took over here, I had uh, constant conversation with, with his camp about the situation and the performance of uh, OEL uh, going back to last January, and there was no difference uh, at this exit meetings than, than last year. I think OEL, um, he's a great person. Um, he's been good here in the dressing room and in the community. Uh, but just his performance on the ice and, and uh, the, the size of the contract, too, made it uh, a little bit complicated uh, at this point. You'd mentioned, too, after the trade deadline that you were comfortable with your options to open up cap space this offseason. Obviously, you have done that, but in the back of your mind then, um, was this an option that you sort of knew was like a great glass in case of emergency one available? Well, I, I, I don't know if I said I was going to open up. I said we would be compliant, um, and, and I was definitely comfortable with that. But that being said, we would have been compliant coming back with the same team. And we didn't want to come back with the same team because we weren't happy with our performance last year. So we went through all our options and, and in order to get better and, and get the flexibility to, uh, to uh, add some, some players to our team, that's where we wanted to execute this option by um, buying out uh, Oliver. Patrick, I think everybody in this room would agree OEL is a first class human being. What's the mechanism of triggering a bio? Like, did, did you break the news to him, or do you just deal with his agent? I, I dealt with his agent first, um, and, and I agree. Uh, Oliver is, a, is a, you know, he's been around. He's a very classy person. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him as a, as a, 
uh, as a person and uh, what he brings here uh, and brought here for, for the two years he was here. Sometimes it's just not a great fit when, when, uh, when trades happen and uh, this team uh, wasn't, wasn't a great fit for Oliver coming in here. I don't know what the, uh, his expectations were. Um, I, I know it's been tough uh, playing for two different coaches and, and uh, um, it was just uh, uh, the right time for us to move on here. Yeah, there's no doubt that there is, there is a lot of work to be done here in order for us to get better. Uh, we're well aware of that, and uh, uh, we're, uh, we've been uh, digging in and, and checking in uh, what's available around the league and uh, being part of, uh, you know, for, for myself, being part of discussions that goes around here. Well, uh, we're going back to, uh, I think, uh, November uh, last year when we first started talking about different options on extension. And uh, but since that, Ethan, uh, I think he made it publicly too, that he wanted to wait to after the season. So I'm um, very happy that he was part of Hockey Canada winning the gold medal at the World Championship, but uh, very unfortunate for him uh, with a sh shoulder injury there. So um, we definitely... Uh, uh, continue having discussions uh, with his camp and, and uh, within our staff as well and, and see what the best option is here in, in the next couple of weeks. Well, it's too early to tell for us. We, we're looking at all the options. Did this How much does the injury play into the two roles? Uh, a lot. I mean, uh, plus minus six months. Uh, so uh, it definitely plays in a lot. Did that factor into... Well, um, we did, regarding Elias, uh, we're gonna we're gonna sit down here when when uh, the time is right. But uh, we had an ongoing uh, conversation uh, again since I get in here. That's my job um, with the players and, and their and their camps. Uh, and uh, you know, I think Elias is a top player for this team. Uh, he uh, his performance over the last season put him in the top. I would say top 10, 15 players in the league. Um, he has a great future. Um, I want to have him part of this organization moving forward, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation with him. Uh, the good thing is there is no rush. Uh, we still have uh, his rights for another two years. Uh, uh, so we'll see where, where it goes from here. Um, regarding Brock, uh, I think Brock, as well as most of the other players, since Talk came in here and, and kind of established how we want to play and our identity, uh, there was definitely a significant improvement in Brock's game and, and how he played. Um, he definitely uh, made it clear to myself and the coaching staff that he, he was excited about the, the, uh, the vision and the path of this team and wanted to make sure that, uh, from his standpoint, that he wanted to be part of it. Um, again, um, I'm, I, I think he's in an age where, where he understands that, the, that it needed a significant change in the summer, and he was committed to do that. So uh, I'm excited to see Brock coming back in, in September uh, ready to go. Did the bear injury and the 
challenge that presents to building your roster affect the timing of the OAL buyouts? Was that something that, you might have waited to do? Well, that, that had nothing to do with, uh, there was two different things. Patrick, regarding Pedersen, it's a really odd dynamic this summer with sort of hopefully one last flat cap off season and then anticipated cap growth going forward. What role does the business dynamics of the cap system and anticipated growth sort of play in talking to a player about a long-term commitment, giving the uncertainty of where we're going? Yeah, no, I, I think for the players and, and more so for the club, is is definitely has been a challenge here over the last couple of years with the flat cap, the unknown, uh, the escrow for the players. Um, we do see, uh, I, I think the game is, is really good and, and it's great to have the fans back in, in the buildings. Uh, um, I do think there is, uh, uh, there is the projection of the cap going up uh, the next couple of years, which, which makes it easier to kind of project uh, from next year. Um, it definitely will have a, for, for us to uh, go into uh, the conversation with, with Elias and uh, potentially a long-term deal, it definitely will help us to have uh, some indications and some projection where the cap's going to be. Patrick, you've said a couple of times that um, OEL's performance played into this decision. Uh, where are you at with Tyler Myers' performance? And um, given Ethan Bear's injury, Oliver's buyout, does that change your thinking on Tyler? Do you expect him here, or, or just where, does it, where do things stand with him? Well, again, I think Tyler was one of those players that, that really played and performed uh, a lot better uh, since uh, working with Adam Foote and Sergey Goncher, uh, having a better under, understanding how and where the puck was going to go. Uh, again, I think it was great for Tyler to be part of, of Canada at the World Championship, getting his confidence back, winning, uh, winning the gold medal was part of the leadership group there. Um, as of we stand here, um, I, I anticipate Tyler to be part of this team moving forward. Patrick, uh, a week out from the draft now, are, are you as firm in your thinking of what you will do at 11? Will you keep the pick? Uh, or is it a matter of goalposts moving between now and next season? Well, I, I think our scouting staff has prepared uh, really well for the whole year, and, and they're really excited about number 11. Um, again, I trying to be part of uh, discussions uh, that, uh, you know, if we're going to do anything uh, that makes us uh, uh, or team better, uh, I'm just not looking to uh, just do a trade for the purpose of doing a trade. But um, there's, you know, there is a lot of uh, calls uh, regarding pick number 11, and, and I'm looking at uh, options if we're going to trade up, uh, if, that's, if that's something we, we have a chance to do uh, to get a player that the scouting staff has identified to be. Uh, uh, a more intriguing player than the one we're going to get at 11. I'm curious, um, the science of selecting a player at the draft, because year after year, we hear about, you know, can't miss person, can't miss person, get the miss. Um, has drafting changed over the years? Has the science involved in trying to make that pick pan out changed, or is it still pretty much a roll of dice? <laughs> I wouldn't say roll of dice. I, I think our scouting staff uh, do a great job, uh, very thorough. Uh, putting the hours in, have a process in place, uh, doing all the due diligence. I think it's more of a preference, uh, and we all know how hard it is. Uh, even even we've seen uh, over the last couple of years, even early picks uh, uh, might struggle to find a way to play. So um, I hope we're gonna, or I hope I, I'm 
I'm very optimistic and, and, and excited about uh, the job my, my scouting staff have done. Has the approach changed by team to make sure that whoever you select has the best chance of making a team as opposed to, say, years gone by? Well, it's hard for me to talk about what other teams are doing. I, I do think that uh, in order to be successful long term, you need to have a, a, a process in place where uh, we all know that, that the league, the makeup of the league is majorities are first round picks, um, regardless if they are failure or, su or success players. The makeup is first round picks. So in order for us to get a, you know, ahead and become a, a, a better team, we need to find players outside the first round. Patrick, in terms of the, in terms of the 11th overall pick, there's a lot of defensemen that are kind of in that range. How do you feel about the crop at the top of the draft in terms of defensemen? Uh, I think there is a, a couple of uh, defensemen based on the information I have from my scouting staff and, and based on, on my views uh, that are uh, potential to be a really good uh, defenseman there. What's your role in the meetings now? I mean, you were a scout like you are the GM. You know, what, what, what do you yeah, say? It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so I can challenge them, that's for sure. But I have a lot of respect for them. I know, uh, you know how hard they work and, and the pride they take in to, to make this right and uh, be part of the organization uh, leading up to next week. Uh, you know, it's, it's a graduation for the scouts. It's a game seven, the, the excitement for them coming into Nashville. It's well deserved and, uh, uh, you know, I want to make sure they enjoy the time there as well. Uh, they uh, definitely have done a, a great job since I got in here. I would think that uh, uh, percentage-wise is probably uh, higher, higher. How much significant higher? I think the drop-down is probably uh, not as much as after 15. Uh, but I was told by uh, uh, former GM Brian Burke that you can always move up in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> Just to circle back to, to team needs, um, do you feel going into this process that you need to find two more top four defensemen, given where you're at? I think that would be a preference for any team in the league, and that's just uh, the reality is different. Uh, I think you could you could uh, you could find players that would fit uh, the way we want to play, and uh, with the addition of Philip Ronick, I feel um, very strong that that we improved our decor uh, by having Philip and, and Quinn as kind of the two elite defensemen in the league uh, that could carry a lot of minutes, uh, move the puck and uh, their ability to skate too. I think that uh, gives the coaching staff an excitement. And now it's more to find uh, you know, a, a partner for those guys. And, and what we're probably looking more at is to find uh, defensemen who can kill penalties more than the offensive part of it. How is Philip and how is Tanner Pearson? Um, uh, Philip was, was uh, fine when he left here. He skated. Uh, as I said, he could have played. Uh, we decided to uh, shut him down there uh, just to not risk anything uh, moving forward. Uh, Tanner Pearson, uh, the, the indication that I have got that uh, his hand is healing. Uh, he's preparing himself to be uh, uh, ready for training camp. How about Ilya McCann? 
Uh, Ilya Mikheyev, uh, same thing there. Um, really impressed with his uh, character and his drive. Uh, since uh, February, um, I mean, he's been, uh, he's been working extremely hard to get ready here for training camp. And, and uh, uh, the indication I got is that he's going to start skating uh, around August 1st. Yeah, it, you, you, it, just being an LTIR itself, it's, it's hard. Um, and we went through it here uh, last year. And uh, it, it could be a potential for us to be an LTIR moving forward as well the whole year. After our, first visit to, for our first visit with you since the club moved off Jason King, I'm just wondering, do you plan on replacing him? Is your staff settled on the bench for next season? And Will Sergei Doncha have the same sort of role here, or will he be more hands-on this coming season than he was? Well, I, again, it was a tough uh, decision there. Jason King has done a lot for this organization. I think uh, we have a lot of respect for Jason. I, I believe that Jason is capable of being an assistant coach in the National Hockey League. It was a tough decision to deliver to Jason. Um, I felt that uh, talking with, with talk at uh, the staff members we have, uh, uh, we're going to include uh, um, Yoga Svetkovsky more. Talked, uh, was really impressed with him. He's going to be part of the team in a little bit bigger role here. Uh, the Sedins uh, as well. So uh, we're not looking for a replacement there. Yeah. And got, regarding Gonch, uh, I haven't seen if he got into the Hall of Fame or not. No. Okay. So <laughs> he, he, in my book, he probably deserves to be in the, in the discussion. He probably uh, have a chance moving forward. But... Uh, you know, uh, Gonch going to be, uh, uh, the deal we had with him was that he, he's, he's, uh, he's in here uh, a certain amount of days in Vancouver and being around with the team. He's going to be in a full time during the training camp. Um, then he's, he's coming in and off a little bit and working remotely with the defensemen. Will you have an assistant who runs the power play full time? Uh, talk is working on that. So uh, I think the coaching staff, uh, they will meet. Uh, I believe here next week uh, during the development camp, and then uh, um, definitely he's going to have somebody who's going to be in charge of that. I, th I, I would envision that Talk's going to be more involved on in the pow power play, and, and uh, uh, you know, with the support of the Twins. With circling back to the draft, an oddity of, of this year's classes, uh, the so-called return of the Russian factor, uh, with limited viewings and, and the war on Ukraine. Your club has brought in a fair few Russian players uh, during your tenure. Um, do you regard that as a significant risk, or do you feel positioned to navigate it, uh, both at 11 and throughout the draft order? Yeah, good question. As you, as you mentioned, it's been a challenge for, coach, uh, for scouting staff to, uh, to get live, live viewings of uh, those uh, uh, players uh, playing in Russia. So it definitely makes it a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, However, I, again, I think our, our scouting staff have done uh, what's needed to be done in this particular case and, and watch a lot of videos. And, and I think they have a comfort level uh, to, put, to, put, to put the, the, the players where they, where they should belong uh, on the list. So we'll see if, if any of them would be available or not where, where we're going to pick. Did you give your Russian players any advice on whether to go back to Russia? 
Um, we did not give them any advice. We followed the, the National Hockey League, uh, obviously, in their guidance. Uh, we're uh, communicating uh, and supported uh, what they want to do. Um, and I believe that uh, uh, our guys did not go back to Russia. I think they were, some of them are meeting their families uh, outside Russia. And when you saw Vegas and the way its roster was constructed, hoisting the Stanley Cup, what do you, I know it's another team you won't speak of them necessarily, but like, how do you think you measure up? Where did you, like, where do you like their roster composition perhaps that maybe your team is, is lacking? Yeah, no, I, I, there is no secret. Uh, I mean, uh, Vegas has been, uh, since they got into the league, they've been competing uh, uh, constant uh, for a playoff spot there. And, and uh, I thought uh, their depth was really good. Uh, um, interesting uh, going through the, all the goal as they did, but they find a way to play. And I think they trusted the, the way they played. And, and uh, um, I think they're, you know, they're, they're a big team. Uh, I thought during the year we competed uh, uh, really good against Vegas. Uh, maybe they took us light at some times, but I also thought that their speed um, created some difficulties for them. Uh, and uh, a guy like JT Miller, uh, we used him in a kind of a shutdown role against a lot of those bigger, heavier teams, and, and he was excellent in that regard. Um, I think there is a different way how how to win and obviously uh, Vegas find their way and uh, they did really well. Thanks guys. Thanks That is Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin speaking to the media at Rogers Arena for uh, about half an hour. Lots to get into there. Lots of thoughts on the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout, why they decided to do it, what it means for the team coming up, uh, the process of that buyout, some thoughts on Ethan Bear, Brock Besser, Tyler Myers, Elias Pettersson, an update on Tanner Pearson, uh, some tidbits about the draft, tons to get into. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your reaction in. Final segment coming up with Drance and myself. Drance will be on the phone with us here uh, when we return, and we will break down everything we heard from Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin. That's coming up. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz. Uh, live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. NHL draft coverage brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Hanzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. Drancer on the phone at Rogers Arena after attending the Patrick Alvin 
press conference. Uh, lots to get into. Some I feel like an intrepid reporter. Yes, like, you are. Grants are on the phone. Intrepid reporter having participated in the presser. You're like back you, with us on the line. You know in movies where uh, there's like a big court, old movies where there's like a courtroom scene and there's a big revelation oh, yeah. in the courtroom and they race out to the payphones to call to call their editor or call Absolutely. their newsroom? That's you will, right I'll now. I'll answer at least one question in like 1920s talk. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, see, general <laughs> okay. manager Patrick Alvin held court today. Yeah. Uh, no, seriously though. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of equivocation. That mm-hmm. was sort of the first five minutes. There was a lot of like underlining past comments, um, trying to cut it a little bit too finely. Mm-hmm. I-, I thought anyway. Um, you know, the the fact is is that there were there were comments that uh, implied something to the marketplace, and then something else occurred. And uh, once the presser moved beyond that. I thought there was a fair bit of, of interesting Intel and some really weighted answers, but the first five minutes, it felt like um, Alvin, as he did as a NHL defenseman was, was playing defense uh, in this presser today. And then I thought he elaborated and, and gave us a fair bit of meat, uh, uh, you know, a fair bit of meat to chew on yep. in terms of how the club is positioned, what it all means and what the club's planning to do. I thought some really loaded commentary about the potential of moving up. Yes, that was an interesting was, one. That was fascinating, really, because that was not particularly prompted, right? I mean, just a general no. question about where they sit at the at the draft. But to hear him specifically say, like, one, I'm getting a lot of calls on pick eleven, and specifically, I am looking at options to move up to go get a talent that our scouts have identified as somebody that would be worth doing that for. Now, there's a long way to go from looking at it, right, and talking about it to making it happen, but I thought that was fascinating to hear that kind of specific mention of the possibility of moving up at the draft. Well, well, I'd add, too, that based off of the information that I got, some of which I was able to confirm and publish yesterday or yesterday evening at The Athletic, some of which I'm still working on nailing down, you know, his answer on the Russian factor too. Mm-hmm. And the, and, and that answer finished with, and we'll see who's available in combination with the trade up talk certainly has the wheels in my head spinning mm-hmm. and spinning excitedly. So, uh, you know, there's, there's also a, a part to this and I'd be remiss, especially given the, the character I play on radio, although I promise it is my honest opinion. Um, there is something a little bit maddening to me about talking about trading up given how the club managed the stretch run this past season, um, you know, there was a free way to accomplish that, uh-huh. uh, a path that the club didn't take. Uh, let's talk Besser. Let's talk Myers really quick because, I mean, I, I don't think there was much doubt left nope. uh, in, in his answers. I, I thought the commentary about Besser's summer, his summer plans, the work he's putting in, I thought they really pointed to, like, genuine excitement. Yep. Right, well, and, and I'd even say that the tone of his voice implied that too. And, and he said ex- ex- explicitly, like, I'm excited to see him in September and come in and, and see what he looks like, basically, right? Which is, yep. you know, explicitly uh, anticipating not trading him. Like, hey, I really can't wait to see what this guy does at training camp. Yep, vindication. <sighs> and then and then I thought with Myers too, he was, you know, pretty explicit. Like, this guy's part of our group. Yep. So, now – is there a convenience there because that deal with how the, how the signing bonus is structured with the modified no trade protection, um, that was the most likely outcome anyway. So you might as well give the guy a vote of confidence. Maybe I, I would say that I didn't, I didn't feel like the genuine excitement the same way on that answer, but no, the, the, yeah. the text like 
stripping away the subtext, the text was clear, right? Myers is going to be here for training camp next season, and, and the club isn't actively looking to move him. And then in discussing how the Canucks match up with Vegas, he talked about JT Miller's proficiency in a shutdown role. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we can unpack the, the hockey logic of that going forward. I think that's a big ask if you're expecting JT Miller to be like a, a high-end shutdown center at five-on-five five all, all next season. But I do think you can read into that too, you know, a, a lot of what we reported last night, Dolly Wall and I over at The Athletic, which is that JT Miller is, is essential to this team's plans here. Mm. Uh, make no mistake about it. I don't think we have to do the will they or won't they Rachel and Ross Canucks and Miller thing uh, over the course of the silly season the next 10 days. Um, not a lot of drama there. Miller will be a Canuck. Uh, the other player that I just did want to mention, I was a little surprised at uh, at what we heard in a very good way, was uh, the the update on Tanner Pearson, uh, which was that uh, from what Patrick Albine hears and what he's told by his camp, the hand is healing and Pearson is preparing to be a part of training camp. Now, that doesn't mean he's good to go and he will be a part of training camp. And who knows, there still could be obstacles, but it's it's a far more optimistic uh, word on Tanner Pearson and his health and uh, and his ability to be an NHL player than anything we've heard since this injury saga started with Tanner Pearson. Well, and and I hope that's right, right? Like I hope a hundred percent because that would be I ama- hope that, that would basis... be incredible news for Tanner Pearson. That would be oh, awesome. It would be it would be, be great. Um, it would complicate this off season, however, yep. in terms of limiting the space available to the club uh, from a spending perspective. But yes, I mean I'm I'm rooting hard for Tanner Pearson to be back and resuming his playing career. I, I do, I will say though, you know, the, there was room there in preparing to be part of training camp that I can hear, you know, a, a, a future press conference in three months where Alvin reminds us of the precise nature of the wording <laughs> to, to, you know, imply that in fact uh, we got ahead of ourselves and that he didn't imply that Pearson was close at all. Right. Um, that he so, was preparing you know, for it, but that preparation didn't go as planned or whatever. Right. Like right. there, so there is an opening there for sure. Absolutely. There's a grain of salt one there, but I, I really hope that that's the start, uh, like an optimistic start to a summer that culminates in, in a really good story for a really good professional who, who I hope is able to overcome you know, what, what's been a really unfortunate set of health circumstances surrounding a, a hand injury that really shouldn't have required uh, as many as seven surgeries uh, and, and o- almost a year off uh, of the sport. Um, I, I just want to add to, I just want to circle back to my Miller Myers, Besser mm-hmm. annotations and just do the classic hockey reporter, like, but of course it can all change with one phone call thing. And then we can move on to other topics discussed. <laughs> okay, good. We checked that box. We checked it. Yes, we all know we, it, things can change with a phone call. Uh, we've checked that, and we can move on. And, um, Have you I, heard things can change with a phone call? <laughs> I did want to get in a little bit, too, and this ties into me. You know, the, the logic and the explanation of the OEL buyout that we heard, and then also some of what we heard about their priorities going into the off season. And, you know, one thing that stood out about the OEL discussion, and I know you picked up on it right away and followed up was, you know, again, explicitly referencing, this was about hockey and business, right? This was about Mm. salary cap space and improving our team. And this was about the raw cash and the business side of operations. And the other thing in there was, and I, I thought this was an interesting way of putting it. And Hey, you know, talk is cheap. We'll see if they follow through on it, but 
that this was a we get this cap flexibility in the near term and we also get the certainty and the ability to plan for the future now we we know the resolution of Oliver Ekman Larson we're not wondering what's going to happen or if we'll be able to move him we know exactly what the case is and now we can plan for it and I thought that was yeah. interesting right and that's 100% true and it's important to keep in mind the execution is going to be another uh, uh, another part of it but I I, I, uh, I thought that was a fascinating thing that we hadn't necessarily heard before this yeah, absolutely. And it's an essential thing. I mean, especially for those two punitive seasons that now loom large in our imagination. I think the club has to have a real plan to navigate that. Um, I also thought he was really interesting and, and sort of backed up something that we were talking about when I was back in the studio some hour ago, which is, you know, asked about the state of the defense corps all told, discussing Ethan Bear, the prospect of not qualifying him. He said it was too soon to say, but you can, you can tell everything you need to know from that answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. Bear, qualifying Bear, given this injury, is almost sure to be a non-starter, especially because he's still got a pretty solid arbitration case. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Like, the fact is, is that it doesn't make sense, right? Without even reporting on the topic, the moment the injury timeline came out, well, I was saying it on our show, right? I was like, you can't qualify him now, unfortunately. Um, it does sound like they'd like to keep him, right? Uh, it's just going to have to be at a far lower figure than the $2.2 million qualifying offer that they gave him, and that's for a variety of reasons, including managing his return off LTI. And yet, talking about what they want to add to their defense core, and specifically Jeff Patterson asking two, two top 4D? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Alvin sort of saying, hey, that'd be great, Yeah, but we can't count on that. We can't count on that. And in fact, uh, Akito Hirose, Noah Juleson, who's who remains unsigned, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a tell there that maybe not for long. And Cole McWard were name checked mm-hmm. by Alvin uh, as options, guys. They Jet, Jet Wu, Jet Wu as well. Yeah, Wu, right to be part of the solution here. I think that tells you that. Look, at the end of the day, uh, there's going to be a hope better to placed on the back end. And I think if you look at how this team performed down the stretch once once Rick Tockett took over, there's some cause to be hopeful that it can work, mm-hmm. right? But it is still a massive dice roll given the quality of this blue line and their need for defensive help. So I, I thought he was pretty clear that, look, if they can add two, do you know it can change with one phone call? If they can add two, they will. <laughs> but one, one is the more reasonable expectation. Well, and, yeah, the, the part about uh, name-checking those young defensemen who could potentially come in and compete for, for roster spots and for uh, for time on ice, that was interesting. The other answer that I thought, and I think this was, was in direct uh, response to the do you need two top four defensemen, you know, basically said, well, look, we have Hughes and Hronick. Those are going to be the cornerstones of our blue line. More important than raw talent is the sense I got is finding guys who can just kind of fit with those two as partners and constructing your blue line Mm. around those two. So they might not be the flashiest names, but hey, they can work with Quinn Hughes or they can work with Philip Ronick. And then specifically part of that, he referenced, you know, guys who fit how they want to play and defensemen who can kill penalties. Well, so, I mean, and, and we have proof of concept with Noah Juleson, right? Yep. I mean, bringing up Noah Juleson for me there is, is a pretty significant tell because we saw it. We saw it down the stretch last season, and you know what? It looked really good. Like, it looked really, really good, especially because one thing Juleson has, in addition to the size, in addition to the frame, he's got really good feet. Mm. Like, he's got really good feet. He's got better feet than most of the, you know, 
Hughes partners that have worked over the past few years. And honestly, I'd probably include Chris Tanev, given the age and stage that he was at when he played with Hughes in that group. Um, I liked that look. I'm sure the Canucks liked that look. In fact, I know they did. Mm-hmm. And so that, that to me is a little bit loaded. Like, there's a real opportunity here that if Juleson signs and, you know, I, I think – I suspect that it's a, not, a, not a simple negotiation because there's probably a case to be made that Juleson has earned a one-way, and yet this club hasn't really done depth guys on one-way deals uh, over the course of the past five, six months. You think about Di Giuseppe, you think about Willannon, right. you think about Brisebois, like all of those have been two-way deals. There's logic in that, in that the way the off-season cap is calculated for a two-way versus a one-way contract, um, the you know overall... Uh, accounting is different in terms of how much you can exceed the off-season salary cap by gives the Canucks more options. So I'm really curious to see, because I now strongly expect Juleson to get done here, uh, but I'll be really curious to see exactly like what the details are on that contract and whether or not the club has to bend to secure uh, the guy internally who I think is the best bet to be the Hughes caddy next season. Um, you know, Are they willing to bend on what they've done for everyone else to make sure they lock him in. That's sort of a, a, a subtle, like a subtle subplot of the next 10 days, but one to monitor. Well, and I mean, this gets back to, um, you know, a kind of philosophical thing that you and I have been talking about since Jim, before Patrick Alvin was hired, really since Jim Rutherford was hired, which is you look mm. at how he's constructed his blue lines and it has, it, you know, there's been high end players, especially in Pittsburgh, obviously with Chris Letang, but then you fill it out with relatively cheap options uh, to the extent that you're able to. And and Patrick Alvin laid out pretty much that blueprint when he was talking yep. about, we have Quinn Hughes, we have Philip Ronick, elite guys, right? Guys who can carry, we think can carry pairs for us and so you know I do wonder if as we look at how they're going to spend this cap space if it's Noah Juleson and a Carson Susie and a bunch of depth on the blue line and not necessarily that that kind of higher end bigger splash option now that they have yep. uh Hughes and Hronick in place and, and you know the thing about the success of the Pittsburgh Penguins with that blue line is like until the moment the buzzer sounded right and and Nick Lidstrom's point shot was saved the question was, how are they doing this with that blue line, right? So it, it's like uh, it's like going zero RB yep. in in fantasy football, where like you know the so the moment your draft ends, everyone looks at your roster and thinks it sucks until week twelve, right? Um, that's that's how it goes. Like it's it's a risky way to live. It's not a way, it's not a strategy that engenders like comfort in terms of looking at the blue line group on paper. The bet is is that on the ice you can make a group that's more than the sum of its parts. Uh, under Rick Tockett's guidance, I just worry, and and I don't think without cause, especially when you look at the other Pacific Division teams, and in particular the performance of the Oilers' blue line after the Ekholm acquisition, and like you are looking at some of the deepest blue line groups in the league, especially in Seattle, Vegas, without question, mm-hmm. and then and then also LA, LA for sure. Um, yeah. You know there is a there is going to be a really significant contrast in, in styles. Uh, and method of roster construction between the Canucks and the teams they're hoping to chase. Oh, I'd add Calgary to the mix. Mm-hmm. Even with Hannafin out, you're still looking at a, you know, Zadorov, Anderson, Tanev, um, um, you know, Shillington. And, and there's one other lefty. I just can't think of his name right now. Um, but like, that's, Uyghur. that's a pretty loaded Uyghur, Uyghur. right there. Yeah. That's a pretty loaded group too. So, you know, I, I mean, 
there, there's a real chance that the Canucks come in into next season with a defense core that on paper is without question the sixth best in their division. Can that group punch above their weight uh, is a pretty fascinating sort of query um, that, that may ultimately determine the success or failure uh, of this experiment. Now, having said that, as a if, if that's your philosophy and it, what it leads you to do is not overextend yourself trying to patch over the blue line this year, right? Because you are content making a lot of smaller bets. Like, I have no problem with that. And, and it's, it's yes, it, it increases the risk for you and how your blue line is going to perform. But I think it's completely defensible, especially for this team, right? It would be one thing if it was, you know, okay, they're, they have to take the next step to being a Stanley Cup contender and they got to go deep in the playoffs and you're relying on that. But for this team specifically, I don't necessarily have a problem with, you know what, we're going to be we're going to be pretty conservative with how we fill out this blue line and hope to kind of hit on some bargain players, some some lesser uh, high profile players or lower profile players to uh, to complement our stars on the blue line. And I mean, I will say, like, as much as Patrick Alvin repeated again, you know, we don't we're creating this cap space to go out and improve our team. We want to build uh, we want to build this team. I did sense a bit of a reticence to go out and just be really free spenders, right? There was the talk about, you know, we have to plan now around the OEL buyout. It's not a quick fix. This is a long-term commitment. And look, it's always easy to to say that. It's one thing to stick to it when July 1st opens. But again, I thought <laughs> right. I thought the the commentary about, oh, hey, we'd love to go add two top four defensemen. Reality is a lot different than that. I thought that was a part of that reticence as well. Well, and, and it comes back to the term thing we've been talking about ad nauseum the last two days, right? Which is, if you're able to land on the trade market, and I'll bring up a name that drives everyone nuts, but who I think is a totally serviceable guy in, in Cody Cece, it's like, two years is kind of nice, yep. because by the time that's done, you know, you, you, you have the, the OEL sort of punitive uh, two-year window opening, and then you can manage around it. Like, I, I love the idea of this club really being scrupulous about managing the term of their offseason acquisitions just because I think that'll give them flexibility. As for the defensive strategy here, you have to be lean somewhere, right? Mm, Fundamentally, mm -hmm. you have to be lean somewhere on your roster. Uh, this club's already lean on defense, so you might as well uh, make it that part of the roster that you're lean on. And, you know, I, I see what you're saying, that it can work. But part of, the, part of the strategy, too, is uh, that they'll augment it as they go, right? I mean, sure. that was part of what they did in Pittsburgh. That was part of what they did in Carolina or Rutherford did in Carolina. Um, you know, it, the, the Justin Schultz ad, the Trevor Daly trade happens in midseason. You know, th there's – We're up against it, Drancer, just sort of, so you know, so we got to wrap up. We'll, 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 yeah, there's yeah. fixes that are ongoing, and I just worry, like, can this club continue to spend futures – the way they did over the past 12 months um, to bring in a, a bunch of guys who, you know, are, are either not moving the needle are non-tendered or are Philip Hironic and who the club is sure to be asking a lot of when next season begins. We will leave it there. Bick and Randeep coming up on the people's show right here on Sportsnet 650.